Father, we do thank you for just the, the blessing of coming together and worshiping you in this place. Lord, our hearts are strengthened as we draw close to you. We sense your Holy Spirit ministering amongst your church. And God, we, we ask now that you would also continue to bless our giving. Lord, our giving is an expression of worship as well. It is a statement of faith. It is a, a sowing into the work that we believe you are doing here. And so, God, we ask for continued fruitfulness in the ministry. We ask for all the resources, God. We ask your blessing on both the giver and the gifts. And finally, God, I would ask that you would speak to us today out of your word. Lord, we, we look once again to the book of Jeremiah. And Lord, as we close out this book, we, we ask that you would continue just to speak into our hearts, that it would leave something within our soul, something deposited of heaven, Lord, that would grow and mature into fruitfulness in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 50. Excuse me. Jeremiah, chapter 50. We started the book of Jeremiah, I believe it was last November. So almost 11 months ago. Today, Lord willing, we will complete the book of Jeremiah. It has been uh, a fruitful journey through the book of Jeremiah. And we come now to these last three chapters. I, as we started in the book of Jeremiah, we, we took our time, especially in the beginning, uh, to be careful to really go verse by verse. And that's our normal uh, method of studying the Bible. We take each and every verse and try to go through each passage. I've begun to kind of move a little quicker as we move towards the end of the book of Jeremiah, simply because much of the prophecies have been kind of lumped together now for other nations besides Israel. And also, uh, we have, I think, we've sown into our hearts the, the thrust of the book. So I think we can go now and, and move a little quicker and pick highlights. I, I'm not leaving anything behind. Uh, if we, there's, there's no rush. But I just sense that, you know, Lord, some of these passages is ground we've covered. And, and so we can, we can highlight it again here today. But let's get into the meat of these passages and, and take the time to study together. Today's subject matter is entitled... The world is passing away. The world is passing away. That may be news for some, but I, I need to remind you, uh, if you're a believer in the Bible and have faith in Jesus Christ, then you know that this is true. Jesus himself declared these things. The Bible throughout the scriptures declares that the world, that is the world as we know it, this sinful world, is passing away. God has something of eternity in mind beyond this life and beyond this world. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. God is not passing away. His word is not passing away. And those who know him, love him, and, and do his will, we are not passing away. But this world, its system... The, the way the world works, this sinful culture, the, the whole, uh, what we would 
categorize as the world system is going to pass away. And we'll catch some of that, I believe, today as we study these final chapters. I'm going to give you just a quick summary of the chapters, and then I want to come through and talk about some of the central themes that I see. I'm going to be moving through several verses today, kind of back and forth in some various places. So I'm going to try and help you follow me with the overhead above. Hopefully you'll be able to track with me on some of these passages. But let me give you a quick summary. Chapters 50 and 51 are now prophecies directed to the nation of Babylon. You'll remember most of the book of Jeremiah is written to the nation of Judah, the the Israelites, the people of God. And God has actually been calling to them that there is a nation called Babylon that is going to come and judge you as a people because you've fallen away from me. You've turned your back on me. You're no longer walking in close relationship with me. Babylon has been the very instrument that God has used to judge his people and discipline his people. But now we see Jeremiah prophesying that even Babylon will also be judged. Not because of uh, God using them as a nation, but because of their own sins as a people, because of their own idolatry, because of their own pride. And in the fact that the, in the way that they did uh, conquer Israel and Jerusalem, they were very harsh and they were very haughty. And God now will also look to them. And this is what the prophecies will speak to. It's a prophecy of judgment. It's also a future hope. And we'll see that laced through these chapters. There are words of judgment against Babylon, but there is also a future hope for Israel. The final chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 52, is really a review of the fall of Jerusalem. It reads very closely to what we have already studied in Jeremiah chapter 39, that final fall of the city. It's as if a page of history was simply added to the end of the book of Jeremiah. As, as the Holy Spirit it put this work together, no doubt a footnote revealing the accuracy of the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. As if to say, everything that Jeremiah has said actually came to pass. And that's what chapter 52 brings to light. But there's something else that we should be mindful of, and I've shared this with you before, working through the book of Jeremiah. And it's not just unique to Jeremiah, Isaiah, other Ezekiel, other prophets uh, have this same quality. Oftentimes when they prophesy, they were, they were speaking both near and far into the prophetic future. As if there are two horizons in view. There is the immediate future that God fulfills these prophecies literally. And there are times when he would speak it way, well into the future. Some cases to the time of the Messiah. And we believe even some cases into the time of the Messiah's return when Christ will come again. And we'll see some of that here in this particular passages because it's, re it's referencing Babylon. It was some months back on Wednesday night, you may remember, we studied through the book of Revelation. And there are two chapters in the book of Revelation completely devoted to Babylon. So Revelation, still future, there is a judgment coming against Babylon. And yet Jeremiah, you know, 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, speaking to the immediate fulfillment of a destruction of Babylon. So you will see that. You will see both a near and far. Um, just to quote a couple of commentators to kind of give, give you an understanding of what I'm saying, I, I quote Warren Wiersbe here. 
He says Jeremiah's prophecy about Babylon has both a near and far fulfillment. The Medes and Persians captured Babylon in 539 B.C., and Alexander the Great finally destroyed Babylon in 330 and left it a heap of ruins. Since Babylon symbolizes the anti-God world system, however, the ultimate fulfillment is recorded in Revelation 17 and 18. Remember, the prophets often looked at two horizons, one near and one far, as they spoke and wrote about the future. I quote another uh, commentator by the name of Riken, and he says, Jeremiah 51 is not simply a history lesson from the past. It is also a warning for the present. Babylon is not just a historic city. It stands for everything hateful and odious to God. Babylon is every culture that is proud, arrogant, wasteful, violent, and destructive. It represents every city that sets itself against the kingdom of God. Augustine, he actually wrote about Babylon in his book, The City of God. He viewed the history of the world as a conflict between two great cities, the city of man and the city of God. As Augustine studied the Bible, he discovered that Babylon represented that city of man standing against the city of God. So Babylon represents more than just the specific city that God would, con would, would bring judgment to, but also a, a world system, a, this idea. You may remember the Tower of Babel, man rising up in pride against the Lord, against the commandments of the Lord, wanting to live independent of God, a very secular, humanistic mindset that we don't need God to rule ourselves. Man will control and be the master of his own destiny. This type of thinking still pervades. It's, it's, it's prevailed throughout history. And so when we look and study God denouncing Babylon of old, we know that he is speaking to a Babylon yet future, and we know that he is speaking to a, a prevalent mindset that exists even today, even in our culture. We know that this type of thinking prevails. So with that in mind, I'd like us to consider three themes here today, three themes that stood out to me in these chapters. The themes that I'd like to speak to are judgment, hope, and calling. Judgment, hope, and calling. Let's take a, a look first at the judgment. It it, it's pervasive throughout the chapters. What we notice is that part of the reason God is sending a judgment against this nation of Babylon is against her pride. The pride of wealth, the pride of might, and the pride of accomplishment. Let's take a look at a few verses here. The pride of wealth. I'm in Jeremiah chapter 50. Some of these verses may appear on the overhead. If not, you can follow in your Bibles. Jeremiah 50, verse 31. Behold, I am against you, O most haughty one, says the Lord God of hosts. For your day has come, the time that I will punish you. The most proud shall stumble and fall, and no one will raise him up. I will kindle a fire in his cities and it will devour all around him. This pride, this, this most proud. Jeremiah 50 and verse 38. A, a drought is against her waters, that they will be dried up, for it is the land of carved images, and they are insane with their idols. This is a very prosperous nation, and they were abundant in idols and, and treasures. Look at uh, chapter 51 and verse 13. O oh, you who dwell by many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, 
the measure of your covetousness. God speaks to this nation of Babylon because they were trusting in their wealth. They were the pride of the earth. They were the most prosperous nation, the most powerful uh, world leader of the time, and quite possibly maybe the most prosperous, maybe the greatest world empire that has ever existed in world history. You remember when Daniel interpreted the vision for Nebuchadnezzar. He said, you, O king, are the head of gold, the most prominent, and all of the kingdoms following him, the world powers that would come behind him, would all be in lesser quality, right? Next would come silver, and then bronze and iron, and then eventually clay. But the head of gold, Babylon, this mighty nation, her riches, her wealth were unsurpassed. Not only does Jeremiah speak of this, but the book of Revelation. And again, you don't need to turn, but you can follow with me overhead. And you'll see the similarity of of this prophecy continuing even into the book of Revelation. Revelation 18 and verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Revelation 18 and verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. We're talking about a world system, a commercial system, if you will. A spiritually, a spiritual Babylon that's residing in the hearts of men who rebel against the Lord. And there is this great pride of wealth, materialism, covetousness. These, this, the merchants of the earth Uh, They all work in concert with this spirit of materialism. And Babylon is called out as this is one of the reasons that God is sending judgment. You've put your trust in money, in wealth, in material things. Your heart is chasing after covetously uh, material things. You're not honoring and walking with the Lord. Of course, this would speak to our, our own culture, wouldn't it? It would speak to our own churches, our own hearts at times. Oh, God, that we would not look to wealth and we would not be proud in wealth, but that we would remain humble and dependent upon you. Not just a pride of wealth, but also a pride of might. Babylon is referred to in these chapters as the Lord's battle axe, a destroying mountain. God had used Babylon to go and conquer and judge these other nations, and she had become this powerful world empire, the, most, the, the leading world power the most powerful military in the world. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 11. Because you were glad, because you rejoiced, you destroyers of my heritage, because you have grown fat like a heifer threshing grain, and you bellow like bulls. Speaking to this nation, you know, you came to judge and discipline my people, but you did it gladly. You did it in a haughty way. You rejoiced the destroyers of my heritage. If you know the history of when Babylon finally sieged and destroyed uh, Jerusalem, burnt the temple, you know that it was a horrific defeat. And that the Babylonians were merciless. They, They completely and utterly destroyed the people, young and old, women and children. It was a, a, just a, a slaughter. And God is now saying, look, I, I called you to discipline, but you became proud in your might and took you know, joy in the spoil of your victory to the point where it was cruel and without mercy. 
he would go on to say in Jeremiah 50, verse 23, how the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken, how Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. I have laid a snare for you. You have indeed been trapped, O Babylon, and you were not aware. You have been found and also caught because you have contended against the Lord. This is a nation who imagined that their military might would protect them from any future defeat or any future harm from any other nation. They, they imagined themselves invincible. But what they didn't realize is that in their pride and that in their self-sufficiency and in their heartless way in which they meted out God's discipline upon His people, they actually put themselves in contention with the Lord. And let me say that that is not a battle you can win. That is not an arm wrestling contest that you will ever prosper in. You cannot contend against the Lord and prosper. No matter your strength, no matter your resources, no matter your national pride, no matter your armies, your fleets, your, your, you know, no matter the strength of might that you may draw confidence in, if you align yourself against the Lord, you are headed for sure defeat. There is no strength or power of man that can stand up against the Lord. We're noticing in our current news headlines quite a bit going on in the Middle East. This week, the Palestinian leadership coming to the United Nations asking for statehood even though they were instructed to go and negotiate peace first with Israel, then statehood. They don't want to negotiate peace. They don't want to stop their terrorist practicing. They don't want to have to worry about what they do. They just simply want the United Nations, the world, to give them a nation within the nation of Israel. And we don't want to have to negotiate peace. And this has stirred up a great, uh, a great unrest. Uh, the Middle East is already has unrest. But now, this has actually kind of heightened things. It's brought it, the anxieties even higher. And the United States finds itself scrambling. Now what do we do? We have to, the United States now has to take a formal stand to stop this process. They don't want to do that because the United States is, is worried about offending the Palestinians and the Arab communities because of the terrorism and the threats. And yet, they can't give them what they want without undermining their allegiance to Israel. And I wonder what will happen. And where will the United States stand? Will we stand with the nation of Israel? Or will we through political pressure, will we through some other vision of, of what we think we can negotiate on our own, stand against the nation of Israel? That decision could very well determine whether we are a nation standing in, in step with the Lord or contending against the Lord. We have a, I have a great respect for our military and those young men and women that serve. And I have a great appreciation for those that put their life on the line for this country. But I'm telling you, no nation can contend with the Lord and prosper. No matter the might, no matter the aircraft carriers, no matter the technology... God cannot be contended against and imagine that we could win. Babylon, you have to understand, they were so far superior to every other nation 
militarily, financially, in every way. This prophecy, and it's why Jeremiah takes two full chapters, because it's so outrageous to imagine that this nation could ever be in threat, that this nation could ever fall. It's impossible for anybody in the world to even imagine it. This is why Jeremiah goes, the Lord through Jeremiah goes into great detail and spends two full chapters to describe the actual fall of Babylon and some of the details. We're not drilling into all of that detail here today, but each and every detail came to pass. And God is trying to give a warning that no nation, no matter its power, no matter its might, no matter its wealth, can stand against the Lord. Also, a pride of accomplishment. Jeremiah 51, verse 41. How the praise of the whole earth is seized. I'm just reading an excerpt from it. How Babylon has become desolate among the nations. You notice that. The praise of the whole earth. This was, a, this was a nation that all the earth marveled at in terms of their, 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 uh, their development, their military, their, their cities, their towers, their walls. Let me quote to you also Revelation 18 in verse 7. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, here's what she says, I sit as a queen... I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Proud in her establishment. Proud in what she has accomplished. Proud in the nation that she has built. Imagining that she will never see sorrow. Jeremiah 51, look at verse 44. Again, I pull out an excerpt from that verse. And the nations shall not stream to him anymore. Yes, the wall of Babylon shall fall. All the nations. Babylon was the center of the earth. All the nations came to her. The Bible says no longer. Jeremiah 51, and verse, look at verse 58. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The broad walls of Babylon will be utterly broken, and her high gates shall be burned with fire. The people will labor in vain, and the nations because of the fire, and they shall be weary. Her walls are going to be thrown down, utterly broken. You need to understand that that is no small prophecy. We, we know through history that the walls of Babylon completely surrounded the city. They were estimated to be 300 feet high. And they were 75 to 80 feet wide. This is three stories, excuse me, 30 stories high. And a six-lane highway around the top. They could... They could run chariots side by side. Imagine, six-lane six highway all around the city, 30 stories high. So when Jeremiah says, her walls will come down, it's kind of like Jesus when he said, this temple, not one stone will be left upon another, remember? And they said, this, this magnificent building, how could that be? And when this prophecy went out to the nation of Babylon, oh, we're so secure, look at the wall we've built, that could never happen. But of course it did. There are no walls left in Babylon. Well, the spirit of Babylon lives today. I must say that even in America, I believe that this spirit is in our midst. 
Again, I, I quote one commentator who says, Today, America is the mightiest, wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Yet power and prosperity pose grave spiritual dangers. They lead to arrogance and violence, to greed and immorality. No nation can contend with the Lord, and no nation can reject the moral commandments of the Lord and expect to prosper. Not for long. I don't know what our future has. I do not imagine myself to be a prophet. I do not imagine that all the prophecies concerning Babylon are directed toward America. But I do know that the spirit of Babylon, wherever it exists, that pride, that arrogance, that idea that we have no need of God, we will govern ourselves, is a, is a foolhardy idea. And it will lead ultimately to destruction, either within or from without. God will see to it. Well, let's move on. I've got any voice left. I just got carried away in worship today. <clears throat> May have shot my voice. I want to talk about hope. And uh, turn with me back again at Jeremiah 50. And look with me, starting in verse 4. And what you'll see throughout these passages is this is kind of laced in. Yes, there's this rebuke of Babylon and her pride, but there is also this beautiful word and message of hope for God's people. In verse 4 it says, In those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. With continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. And they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. The she their shepherds have led them astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All who found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We have not offended because they have sinned against the Lord, the habitation of justice, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. We see that God promises a future yet for His people, that even this nation, Jerusalem, that has been conquered, and many of them were now held captive as, as prisoners there in Babylon. God is saying, listen, Babylon's day is coming, but your day is yet future. There is still, there's going to be a returning to Zion, a returning to Jerusalem. We know that that was literally fulfilled 70 years later. But we also believe that it speaks into yet a future regathering and, a God, and God calling His people back to the nation of Israel. There they are today in the land. And we believe that there will be a spiritual awakening in the future, that God is going to open their eyes, as the prophet Zechariah said. They will look upon Him whom they have pierced. They will recognize Jesus finally as their Messiah. And they will come to faith in Him. Jeremiah sees that day. Jeremiah calls it out. It says that they will ask the way to Zion. Their hearts are going to be humble. The continual weeping. This was a proud people who rejected the, God's warnings. But now they've been humbled. Their heart is contrite. And this is the way to return to the Lord. This is the way that all must come to the Lord. Not with haughtiness or pride but with a humbled, contrite heart. 
if you're lost today, if you have forgotten the way to Zion, that place where you are close with God, humble your heart and ask the Lord and look for shepherds that would not lead you astray, but those that would lead you to Him. He says that they have forgotten their resting place. I think of many, many believers who have forgotten their resting place. I think of Christians who have just kind of gotten off track and gotten out back into the world, back into Babylon's system. And they've lost their way, that resting place, that place of close fellowship with the Lord, that place of intimacy with Him. They're out distracted with their own pursuits and they've, they've forgotten the way to Zion. Maybe you're here today and you've lost your way. God, God's tenderness calls to you. Come home. Come back to the Lord. Humble yourself. Come and ask for the way. Lord, show me the way back to Zion. Show me the way back to relationship with you. God, sowing a future and hope into the heart of His people. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. There's still hope and there's still a road back that leads to grace and blessing. We move on. We see not only a future return, but we see here something of a pardon that God is planning for His people. Look at verse, again in chapter 50. Look with me in verse 20. In those days, and in that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found. For I will pardon those whom I preserve. You're going to, they're going to look for sin. There's going to be some sense of wanting to accuse, but... God says there won't be any sin. There will, won't be anything to accuse them of because I am going to pardon them. And that's, that's a great hope to me today. And it should be something that would encourage your heart today as well. When the enemy, who is listed in the Bible as the accuser of the brethren, when he comes to <clears throat> accuse your conscience before the Lord, when he comes to tell you that you are not worthy of the grace of God, who do you think you are? Oh, you want to come back to Zion? Wait just a minute. Let's take a look at your record. Let's take a look. Let's get the list of sins out. And our hearts recoil. We draw back with a sense of shame and guilt. But God is saying, no, when you come, there'll be pe they'll, the accuser will be looking for iniquity, but there won't be any. The list will be gone. The slate will be clean because I will pardon her. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, our sins and iniquities are remembered no more. We come and, you know, those that knew you, oh, you think you're a Christian now? I remember you did this and now you did this. But yeah, but in the, in the court of God, those sins are forgotten. And others may look, but you can say, yeah, but God doesn't remember any of that. God has forgotten. God has pardoned me. Now, this is not some license to live any way you like. This is not talking about some you know, heart that, oh, goody, then I can just do whatever. i got a free opportunity here, right? Nothing's going to count on my record. That's not what God is encouraging. The Bible says in Romans 6, should we, now that grace has come to our lives, should we sin all the more that grace might abound? God forbid. May it never be. 
No, God is talking about these hearts that have come back in contriteness. Those hearts that have come back seeking relationship with Him. Those that want to live for the Lord. Those that really want to walk with Him. God has given you pardon. God has given you a complete, clean slate and completely cleansed you. Not because you deserve it, but because He has provided for it in Jesus Christ. Not only is He willing to pardon, but He is also a very, very strong Redeemer. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 50 and verse 34. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is His name. He will thoroughly plead their case that He may give rest to the land and disquiet the inhabitants of Babylon. We sang it this morning, didn't we? You are stronger. Put your confidence not in your own strength. And God sowing this into the heart of His people. This is a defeated people now. This is a, an Israel that has been defeated and fallen. And now they're living in this all-powerful Babylon. They're, they're under captive of the most powerful nation upon the earth. And God sends word. Babylon's going to fall. And they're mad. You, know, you can just imagine what they would. Yeah, right. We have no chance here. We're just this little group of you know, vagabonds from Israel. We're just a defeated, our, our, our nation is finished. And God sends word, no, Babylon is finished. You are not. Because your Redeemer is strong. Stronger than the, than, the, than the nation of Babylon. Stronger than the bondages of sin. Stronger than the addictions of the past. Stronger than the guilt and the shame that, that the enemy would try to hold you down with. God is stronger and can set you free from these things. Your deliverer is mighty. He is strong. He is the Lord of hosts. He will plead your case. He's on your side. If God is for us, who can be against us? Revelation, again, I, again, just tying these together. Revelation uh, 18, so in, in line with Jeremiah. Revelation 18, 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. There is, that when, when God finally brings just justice, when God finally dis, de, uh, destroys the his enemies and the world system which you and I live amongst and it's you know it it's upstream for the christian everything the culture everything that's politically correct is coming against us there's coming a day when god will rid all of that opposition god will defeat his enemies once and for all and the bible says in revelation rejoice all you saints all those that have come to the lord all those that long for righteousness all those that want to see God bring the, the kingdom, there will be a rejoicing. And so, for the nation of Israel, your, your, your Redeemer is strong. Hope in Him. There's coming a day when you will rejoice. Finally, here today, I want to talk to you about calling. There is a sense of calling and destiny for us in the, in the day that we live, but also for the nation of Israel. The first thing that I'd like you to notice with me concerning a, a, a calling upon his people is that they would come out, come out of Babylon. You were to live there, you were to pray for the peace of the city, but you were not to embrace their customs, their thinking, their way of living. You are in the world, but you are not of the world. Jeremiah 51, and look at verse 6. 
flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. God is sending judgment upon this nation, upon this system. Do not embrace it. Do not make friends with it. Do not imagine that you can live in friendship with the world and not be at enmity with God. God is going to judge these things. And again, I remind you of Revelation 18 and verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. This is the struggle, I think, for us in this day in which we live. We live in this modern-day Babylon, at least the culture and the, the materialism and the pride and, and, and what, what we see going on. And there is the tendency, the temptation to kind of go with the flow. And you can get caught up in the stream of worldly thinking. And slowly, maybe not all at once, but slowly, gradually, little by little, your, your mind is kind of uh, retrained uh, to think a little more moderately. God's Word is looked at a little more skeptically. And we look to kind of soften the edge of what the Scriptures say. That's a little narrow. That's a little harsh. That's not very winsome. And, and so we look for ways to kind of go with the flow. Be careful. Be careful. The Bible says, come out. Come out from amongst her. Be separate. Don't partake in this mindset, this, this ideas, these ideas of pride and, and, and uh, living against the hand of God. So part of your calling, church, part of the calling for the nation of Israel was to remain holy unto God, separated unto Him, to come out. Secondly, I, I notice the calling is to be faithful to the Word of God, to be faithful to the Word of God. I want you to turn with me. didn't put my reference, but I'll find it. Turn with me to chapter 51, verse 59. Chapter 51, verse 59. <clears throat> Jeremiah writes out this prophecy, and he sends it. He sends it on to Babylon. Jeremiah himself would not go to Babylon, but he would send this prophecy. Look at verse 59. The word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Sariah, the son of Neriah, the son of Meshelah, when he went with Zedekiah, the king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign. And Sariah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon. In other words, these two chapters we've just read. Jeremiah wrote them out. And these words that are written against Babylon, verse 61. And Jeremiah said to Sariah, When you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading this book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates. Then you shall say, Thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, <clears throat> true to his calling to the end, 
Now, if you remember when Jerusalem fell, we studied this in weeks past. Jeremiah had been prophesying against his people, saying, surrender to Babylon. You're going to be defeated. God is bringing them to discipline you. And they resisted and they rebelled, and of course, Babylon came and defeated them. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got word of this prophet Jeremiah and that he was favorable towards Nebuchadnezzar coming and conquering Jerusalem. And you remember, he sent word to his chief guard there once they captured Jerusalem to take to separate Jeremiah and to aid him, to assist him. And Babylon was very friendly toward Jeremiah because of his prophecies that they had heard about. Well, you, wanna, you talk about uh, a real fast way to change your fortunes with the most powerful nation in the earth is to send this kind of prophecy on ahead. Here he's had this, he's kind of got finally, you know, his own people have been persecuting him. Now he's finally got Babylon and kind of on his side. And what's the first thing he does? He writes out the prophecy against Babylon and sends it on. Now read this to them. And after you do, tie a stone to the book, throw it out into the river Euphrates and say, this is what's going to happen to Babylon. Jeremiah, I mean, what a, what a bold step in the face of, you know, again, imagine walking into that kind of a city, past those kinds of walls, and just this little prophet from Israel who we've just conquered has a little message for us, and this little kind of, you know, skit that he goes through. I mean, you can imagine the kings and the, the, the leaders of Babylon. Who is this guy? He writes us some words, and he thinks that's going to come to pass. Of course, it did come to pass. But Jeremiah is not ashamed to declare the word of God. Jeremiah is faithful to the Word. Jeremiah speaks it even when it's not convenient. He's done it his whole life. He's done it his whole ministry. And he's doing it there even now that Babylon has come to power. Read it all, he said, and then show them that this is what's coming. And we see throughout the prophecies Jeremiah calling out their sin, honest concerning sin. Church, we have a calling today. We have a calling to be faithful to the Word of God. We have a calling to be faithful to what the Word says is sinful. It's sinful. No matter what the culture says. No matter what the lifestyles desire. No matter what the political climate is and what's politically correct. We have an obligation, a calling, to be faithful to the Word of God. Jeremiah was faithful to the end. And it, it cost him dearly. But he, he was faithful and he reminds us, of course, of someone else who was greatly persecuted for his faithfulness to the truth. None other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brought a message that those Pharisees and those religious leaders didn't want to hear. But he was faithful to the truth. Again, I quote Wearsby today and the, the similarity between Jesus and Jeremiah. He said, Jesus and Jeremiah both recognized that a nation's greatest problem is not unemployment, inflation, or lack of defense, it's sin. The nation that doesn't deal with sin is wasting time and resources trying to solve national problems, which are only symptoms of the deeper problem, which is sin. It's sin. It's the heart of man. It's rebellion against God that is bringing a nation down that is bringing and creating problems and, 
and despair. It's not something that government can solve. It's something that the heart of the people have to solve by turning back to the Lord. And we as God's people must be faithful to this message. This is the answer. Yes, I study. I do. I I study the political parties. I try to stay informed on the culture. I vote. I I do my best as a citizen. I pray. but, But ultimately, my confidence is in the Lord. And I know that, you know what? You can't contend against Him and win. You can't do it as a nation, and listen to me, you can't, you can't do it as an individual. You may be here today, and you may be imagining that your problems are everywhere else and everyone else. But if you are honest, there's something going on in your own heart. There's something of a rebellion going on in your own lifestyle, in your own conduct. You're living in sin, and you know it. And you're doing it willfully, rebelliously. And you're wondering why you're not prospering. You're wondering why things aren't going better. And you're wondering why God isn't showing favor and and giving the blessings that you long for. Get your heart right. Come with that that penitent heart, that, that weeping and saying, Oh God, show me the way back to Zion. Show me back to the resting place. I'm out here living and doing my own thing and imagining that I can kind of muscle you into to giving me what I want and doing for me anyway. And I can hit and miss with you and still have some kind of blessed, fruitful life. It won't work. God is calling you to something better than that. Laying down sin is not some, oh, losing the, the, the greatest thing in your life. It's losing the, the, the weight that's drowning you in the river Euphrates. It's gaining the greatest freedom and the rest and the joy that comes in walking with Him. And God is stronger if you're here today and you're bound up. God can set you free. Let your heart turn to Him this morning. Finally, concerning our calling, church, I would ask us to consider being faithful to our generation. Faithful to our generation. We see through the whole entire book of Jeremiah this great compassion that he had for his people. God had installed something of his heart into the prophet's heart. God's love for the people was truly had embraced the heart of the prophet. The apostle Paul said, The love of God constrains, compels, motivates, directs me. It's not of me, it's of him. And he knew that to serve him, he needed to be faithful to his generation. This is your generation. You're not coming this way again. Despite whatever reincarnation ideas are out there. You don't get another try. This is it. You've got but one life. And this is an opportunity to be faithful or this is an opportunity to waste and to squander the stewardship that's been entrusted to you. It says in Acts 36 concerning David that after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he went on to be with his fathers. I like that. He served his own generation. You know David. David was not perfect. David was not a a man without trouble. But it says that he served his generation by the will of God. I close with this verse today. 1 Peter 2 and verse 3. 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Some ten months ago, I felt compelled for us to start the book of Jeremiah. My sense was that God wanted to speak to us as a church. That God was speaking to my heart the similarities of our own culture and then what Jeremiah was experiencing in his day. And I believed, and I believe the Lord put this in my heart, that, that somehow God would, in, would inspire our hearts to be faithful in our generation. That we would be like Jeremiah in our day that we would be willing to, to walk the narrow road and to be the light and the salt because we are living in troubled times. We are living in, in a time when it seems the culture and the tide of the day is just moving against God and the things of God and the people of God. And globally, we see prophecies beginning to line up. The day is near. The time is short. And Jeremiah, must have, you know, he ministered for many years. And it must have seemed at times like, wow, it may never happen. It'll never come. But it did. And, you know, 40 years, it seems like a long time to minister a message. And it was. But you know what? When you see what happened, if that were to happen in 40 years from today, if we were to experience something like that, it would, it would alarm us that we could be that close. And we may be even closer, church to what God has planned for the end. So I, I, you know, as a pastor, the book of Ephesians says that the purpose of ministry for pastors, teachers, those that God gives gifts and calls to serve the church, that our purpose is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's been my heart for us, for Jeremiah, that in some, some manner, some fashion, your hearts have been better equipped to face and live in this generation, to see it as it is. Jeremiah calls it out straight up and no, no apologies and that we would live our lives this way because there's a calling. There's a calling upon your life. There's a calling upon the life of this church. There's a calling upon the church of Jesus Christ at large. And I believe that our redemption is drawing nigh. And I want to live in a way that is expecting and looking and hoping for that day. Not running in fear, hoping, oh, not, not today, Lord. <laughs> now let's live in a way that we could be the light that Jeremiah was to his generation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Jeremiah. I thank you, Lord, for the the prophecies that are given to us through Him. And Lord, I do believe that even today there is much for us to embrace. Inter interesting history for sure, and certainly some spiritual application for us. But Lord, I, I think even beyond that, there, this, this may speak right into our, our, our modern day concerning the nations and the gathering and the, and the judgment that's coming. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts as believers, that we would prioritize correctly, that we would be willing to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. You've chosen us for this time. We are here, like Esther, for such a time as this.
We're going to prepare here for communion, and just before we do, I, I want to pray for some that may need to respond here today. Just keep your heads bowed with me, and we'll pray, and then we'll partake of communion together. You may be here today, and you simply do not have a relationship with the Lord. You don't know Him in a personal way. And before you partake of communion, which really is, is an intimate time with the Lord, I, I would encourage you to receive Jesus into your heart, to receive Him as Lord and Savior into your life, that you would allow Him to forgive you of your sins today, that you would acknowledge that it's by His blood and what He did at the cross that your sins can be forgiven. And just as we read this morning, that there would be a pardon for you and that that long list that you're concerned about, that you would look for it and the Lord would say, it's gone. It's no more. And I would encourage your heart today, allow me to pray for you before we distribute communion. Or you may be here today and you do have a relationship with the Lord. But if you were honest this morning, you would acknowledge that you've lost your way and you need to come back to the Lord. You're like those people, show us the way back to Zion. I need to come back to that place of relationship with you, Lord. I'm not walking close with you. I've lost my way. I, I, I don't remember how to find that resting place. And God is calling your heart back this morning to come back to Him and to reconnect with Him in sincerity and in truth. Maybe you're wrestling with sin. Maybe you're living a double life. God knows. God sees. This is a time to come honest with Him and be, be open and allow Him to touch you. God loves you. He wants to bring you. He invites you to His table this morning. And I want to simply pray for you so that we can rejoice together at the communion table. Our heads are bowed. And I'm asking if you're here today and you need to come to the Lord, possibly for the first time, or you need to come home and rededicate your life to Him. Would you raise your hand where you're seated so that I can pray for you? And, just, and then we'll take communion. Bless you, sir, on my left. You, ma'am, here in the center. The right as well. Up here in the front, ma'am. God bless you. Over here on the left and in the front, a number of hands. Anyone else before I pray? God bless you, sir, on my right. I'm going to wait just one more minute. I just think the Lord's tugging on a heart. God bless you. Over here on the left. Anyone else? The Lord's speaking to you. We're not going to call you up today. It's between you and the Lord. Take a step of faith. Let me pray for you. Anyone else before I pray? Father, we thank you for the work of Your Spirit in the hearts of men. We thank You for the power of Your Word, Lord, written some 2,600 years ago. And it speaks like the front page, ministering right into our culture, speaking right into our lives. And, oh God, we thank You for touching the hearts that have responded here today. And I pray, Lord, this morning that You would meet each heart that they would simply acknowledge their sin before you. Just like we read about that nation of Israel coming home. It was with, with tears. Not, not tears of sorrow, but 
tears of confession, acknowledging, oh Lord, I've sinned and I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to cleanse my life and to to clean the record of my sins, Lord. Pardon me. Not because I'm worthy of it, but because you love me and because you sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross for me. That the penalty for my sin might be put upon him and paid for in full. And so, God, we receive that today, that forgiveness, that mercy. And we ask that your spirit would fill and encourage and bring those hearts to Zion, that resting place this morning. And Lord, we now just want to celebrate that what you've done and and that has been done in our hearts, Lord, as we take communion together, declaring this great victory that you have for us in Jesus. We thank you now and ask your continued blessing on this time in Jesus' name.